Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties 2. This episode features one of the three guests on my hour-long NPR show, heard every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it has broadcast continuously for 14 years. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know, because I care about people who care about cats, dogs, and other creatures who share our planet. I'm also the founder and director of the New York Dog Film Festival and the New York Cat Film Festival, which travel America and Canada supporting local animal welfare groups. I could not bring you this show without the support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian who's created a variety of litters to please any cat, as well as inventing clean protein cat foods based on the protein found in cats' natural prey. This show is also made possible with the generous sponsorship of Waruva, the family-owned foreman pet food company named after their rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa, where all their recipes in cans and pouches are human edible because they're made in a human food facility. Good enough for you to eat, but your cats won't appreciate that. I am so happy that as the holidays are upon us or we're thick in the middle of them, I get to talk to the most wonderful Dr. Ernie Ward. He's called America's Pet Advocate. Actually, Rachel Ray gave him that moniker when he was on her show. But we're going to talk about pet obesity, which is kind of a year-round problem, but the Association for Pet Obesity Prevention, of which Dr. Ward is a spokesperson, or maybe the spokesperson, seems like a timely time for it. Ernie, I know you see a lot of very chubby dogs and cats all year round. Do you think the holidays are kind of going to push them over into a new kind of fatness? You know, Tracy, it's great to talk about this, especially this time of year. And we've looked at that. And way back in about 2007 or eight, I believe it was, we did a little pilot study with a few veterinary hospitals where we measured dog and cat weight gain from the period of Thanksgiving to New Year's. And you know what we found? Uh (laughs) No surprise there. Yeah, cats and dogs gained weight. In fact, dogs picked up almost a pound and cats picked up over almost almost three quarters of a pound, which doesn't sound like a lot to us, but, you know, multiply that times seven or ten. And that means, you know, that's like you gaining an extra three to five pounds during the holidays. It's deadly. And everyone always sort of, for humans, justifies it. Well, it's just those holiday pounds. There's really no reason to eat three pieces of pie, people. And there's no reason to give any of it to your dogs and cats. So is that part of what happens, Ernie? Do people take the pretty much unhealthy food on their own holiday plates or snacks and share it? Right. We looked at that as well. We asked people that participated in this survey, you know, okay, so what what was your behaviors like? We wanted to to dig into, did you feed more? Or more importantly, what we found was they exercised less. And most of the respondents told us that because they were busy traveling and preparing for the holidays, they just didn't have time to go for that extra long walk or play with their dog or cat. So we felt like it was a combination of the two and maybe throw in some cold weather. And, you know, you've got a perfect storm of of elements that can lead to to weight gain. And also people keeping dishes of what I consider vile foods, sorry, but I'm like the anti-sugar person for humans and the anti-carb person, but huge bowls as if every day is Halloween, which is another right. kind of, uh, you know, disturbing event. And I think it's just really strange to overwhelm children, just pour candy all over them and tell them you can only eat, you know, so many buckets a day. But it sort of goes from <laughs> Halloween right through like 
like big bowls of candy. Stick your hand in. You go to the doctor, and there's big bowls of candy to take. What is wrong with us in sugar and then not understanding how incredibly unnatural that is for dogs and cats? Yeah, it really is. And, you know, back in my very first book on this topic for for pet owners called Chow Hounds way back in That's right. I remember we talked about it on the show. I'm actually going to put a link to it in in the podcast version of this show. I'm going to put a link because I I must say you and I have been either preaching to the choir or singing the same tune (laughs) for a long time. Uh, both, and we're both in the Church of Good Health. We but are. back in that book, I really examined the neurochemical, you know, impulses and drives and mechanisms between obesity and, as you mentioned, high sugars, carbs, and fats, and even salt. You must throw in that mix because that is really palatable. I mean, dogs love salty yes. things. Cats crave salty things. So, you know, again, you start to figure out, okay, what pet food companies are often doing, and listen, it's not all misintentions, you know, they're not all trying to just cause problems, but they're trying to make foods that dogs and cats love, savor. And so by manipulating the neurochemistry, we actually then trick the body into craving these foods, and that leads to overeating. It's a a definite physiological problem, man-made, and I, I really, I think we, we should have another conversation about chow hounds. It's still in print. It's a really important book, and maybe it takes people a decade to wake up to the fact <laughs> if you look to the left and the right of you, never mind down into your own waistline, we're doing terrible harm to ourselves and our children, and then the fur children wind up somehow eating from the same bowl, if you will, because if we don't recognize the really serious health danger to ourselves— how are we going to admit it, you know, to the dogs and the cats? It's like, oh, we want to share yeah. love and food is love. Right. You know, people used to say love is money, you know, like when inheritances, <laughs> it's better. Let love be money. Don't make it food because, you know, you can fight over money and inheritances and which child gets a bigger allowance or more piece of the will. But in the end, I think that the food being love really creates big problems. You you have a survey that goes right through the end of the year that I'd love to encourage people to answer, not to shame anybody or to call you out on, you know, what you're doing with your dogs and cats. But it's, as you point out, there's science here. So how do people access that survey, Ernie, to to be part of what you're doing? It's the the tail end of it because it ends on, you know, New Year's, so to speak. But it's important if we all jump in on citizen science. Right, exactly. And and really, if you just go to petobesityprevention.org, and literally if you just type in pet obesity prevention, you'll pop right up at petobesityprevention.org and just click on the pet owner survey. And what we're doing is we're not asking you really if, if your dog or cat is too heavy. We're actually asking you about opinions towards pet food and exercise and all of that, your behaviors and attitudes and actions around weight. Because what this is your chance to inform pet food manufacturers of what it is that you want. And if we can get together and say, look, pet parents demand healthier options. They want to have more transparency in calories, right? We want to know what's in the pet food. That's how we do this. And, you know, what, what I've been really, I'll tell you, I've, I've been really energized the past few years because they're paying attention. You know, we've been doing these surveys now for nearly 20 years. And, and it's come to the point where now the pet food you know, manufacturers, they say, what's going on over there at APOP? What are they saying? They tapped into pet, pet parents that actually are interested in providing the best health and, and care for their pets. And let's listen to what they have to say. So, again, if you're interested, petobesityprevention.org, this is your chance to speak out to the pet food treat manufacturers, the, the pet food companies, 
technology companies and help them understand what you want. That's an extremely good point that it does give people a voice because part of me in the beginning, not cynically, but just investigative reporter mindset, wondered, so who's funding APOP? Because sometimes what looks scientific uh, in the human food industry, whether it's sugar, mostly sugar, salt as well. There's a whole lobby behind, you know, sugar isn't really bad for you. It's fine if ketchup is 50% sugar. At least it's real sugar, not corn syrup. Like completely confusing people. So those sort of, I call them pseudoscience in the human food industry is not what you're doing. You really are trying to find a way to say to the companies making food, which can be more fattening than it needs to be, here's what people would like. So where does the money come from for the nonprofit association for pet? I mean, because I have to ask that. Otherwise I'm not the kind of curious monkey cynical type that I am underneath it all. Well, and the fact is there is no money because we are grassroots. You know, this has been led by a team of really committed, committed uh, pet professionals that just dedicate their time and efforts. You know, I mean, uh, my wife, Laura, winds up doing so much of this this no uh, work that, you know, yeah and, and you know and we felt like you know and again we're a, a 501c3 a nonprofit, you yes. know and, and we're making strides but we really rely on this network of committed individuals around the country and you know that's also i think powerful in and of itself because you know there are enough veterinary professionals out there who are saying we need to we need to do better we must do better for the pet patients that we love and serve and there are enough pet parents that help us so you know i think together again you can help us just by taking the survey but but at the end of the day what we're trying to do is number one raise awareness we want people to understand that a chunky cat is at risk for diabetes that a, a dog who's carrying a few extra pounds is going to have problems with high blood pressure joint issues arthritis so forth we want to also make sure that veterinarians understand the health impacts right because sometimes vets are just ignorant as anybody else and then the third thing we want to do is really come to, to, to develop solutions, right? And so right now, the only thing that we can really do is say, feed less and exercise more. And that's just not good enough. And no. so by, again, by, by us pulling together our voices, we can start to tell, look, look at the drug companies. I mean, you know, Tracy, it's fascinating to me. And again, you know, we can all have our different opinions on, on medicalization of obesity, but on the human side, they've got over 15 FDA approved drugs. And a few of them that have just come out this year are really getting fantastic results. They have bariatric surgery. I mean, you name it, there's a list, a long list of treatments and interventions on the vet side. We've got nothing. And I think we need to change that. That's a really interesting point. And before we go on, I just want to say really hats off to you because I asked that question in all innocence. I didn't, you know, do a deep dive on what's pet, you know, APOP really about. I knew that you were the driver behind it, you and some other pet professionals. But how incredible that you cared this much for this long and keep on like climbing the mountain of sand because it's very hard. There's a, not really a tide against you. It's just a hard thing for people to feel good about. I mean, even the vets who want to bring up wow, the dog's four pounds more than your last visit. It's really not good for the human veterinary bond when the vet, the person, the owner, feels shamed or criticized and the vet doesn't want the person to have that experience in the vet office because they want the person to keep coming back. So it's really tricky. My vet, Linda Morris, puts her hands over Wanda Weimer on her ears and says, she's a little chubby. (laughs) 
because she doesn't want to, <laughs> quote unquote, offend Wanda, which is hilarious. But it's hard because I'm a feeder. I'm a snack yeah. feeder. I now feed broken up pieces of unsalted rice cakes. They're, it's just styrofoam, if you ask yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. And so it's got crunch. She thinks she's getting a treat. She doesn't miss right. a carb-heavy biscuit, which may have a little protein in it. But in the end of the day, it's got lots of other right. stuff. So, I mean, I think that what you're doing is really difficult because people don't want to face it. And the vets, even the ones who care a lot, it puts them in a terrible position. Because if they call it out, that person may say, I'm not going to go back anytime soon. It, it, well, don't you find with your co, co-professionals that this is a, a problem yeah. or a, a challenge? Yeah, you've really illuminated it well, and I appreciate you bringing this up. So one of the reasons that we founded this, you know, back in 20, 2005 was the fact that we wanted to take that the element of education out of the exam room because of the emotional dynamics that you just mentioned, right? So we knew that if the vet goes into the room and, and is the, for the first time this person's hearing this, oh, obesity is bad, then, you know, suddenly we, we're going to lose them emotionally. And so we're trying to take that educational aspect out of the pre-exam, if you will, right. so that hopefully enough pet parents will understand and hear it so that then when the vet says it, they'll be a little more measured in their response. But you're absolutely right. The biggest barrier that we have in the fight against pet obesity is that nobody wants to talk about it. Isn't it funny? Isn't it funny? And I don't know what happens in human medical exam rooms. You know, in the old days, the, the doctor used to put out a cigarette before he or she came in the room. So, right. you know, it's not, not like human doctors were any paragon of great health awareness or their own choices, you know, because they were, they are and were stressed and under a lot of pressure and they probably eat fast food and some of them still smoke. So I don't know what happens in the human exam room, but the pet exam room, it's a life-saving intervention that can be done. And the vet has kind of got duct tape over their mouth because otherwise they kind of make the client, the human client, uncomfortable. Right. It's a right. tricky thing. I mean, there was a point, you guys brought up a point a number of years ago, and then it circulated in the veterinary community that an overweight lab, overweight by, I forget if it was five or 10 pounds, but I can assure you, we don't, I've never seen ribs I've never seen ribs showing on a Labrador retriever in the United States. I mean, in the dog shows, these animals are so bloody fat. The dogs at the AKC, you know, approved dog shows, they are fully fat. So we don't even know that ribs showing is part of health. We think, oh, my God, that's a poor, you know, abandoned stray by the side of the road if I can see its bony structure. But it takes, what, two or three years off their life? Yeah, yeah. There have been two lifetime studies done, and uh, they found that, about two to two and a half years of decreased life expectancy. And, and so, again, you know, when you look at the ramifications, I mean, we all want more time with our dogs and cats, and this is the easiest way to get that, you know, that fountain of youth. It's just, it's really not that hard. The fountain of youth is in the food bowl, and we just need to really start by critically analyzing how much we're feeding, what we're feeding, and all those kinds of elements. And this is where, again, you should have that conversation with your vet. I personally believe that the most important question you can ask your vet at each annual exam is, what and how much should I be feeding my pet? Like, if you can start there, you can transform their health. Well, you know, I'd love to agree with you. It's a little difficult. It's a little difficult and a conversation, maybe a second conversation for another time, no disrespect meant to any of your any of your co-vets, I have many vets who are friends and many vets who I've had this conversation with, but if you look at the ingredient deck, as it's called in the pet food industry, of the foods being sold in the pet clinic 
for supposed health, and on short-term use, they do sometimes mitigate disease processes. The ingredients are quite dreadful, and they're actually fattening. There's one that's just rice bran and pork fat. I don't need to say what the company is, but it's one of the most famous. And I fed it to my dog for six weeks when he had bladder stones and he got cellulite in a mere six weeks. It was a Weimaraner. So they, you know, they wear spandex. You see it all. It's kind of tricky to say, have the conversation with your vet. I, I hope that there's a place on, on your website that people can look up some thoughts or suggestions or information because vets really are not schooled in nutrition and what they have to sell for supposed health and wellness often have ingredients that are are not um, friendly sounding or looking to people who are educated and aware about what might be best to have in a pet food. So you, yeah. you know where I'm coming from. I mean, you know this I, I, yourself. I do, and, and I, don't, I don't entirely disagree, but I'm always cautious about painting with a broad stroke like that because to, to discount an entire profession, I think Tracy is a little bit you know, misleading. There are vets that are very knowledgeable in nutrition. There are vets that sell incredible foods. There are vets that don't sell any food. Right. I think that really what I'm trying to say is you need to have a conversation, you know, because I think that when we, as you mentioned, put the duct tape over our mouth, well, you know, <laughs> you're right. Then nobody gets better and we can't improve health. And so I always tell people that the, the hardest thing you can get from your vet is a nutritional recommendation because of all the fear of the emotional, you know, relationship that they want to have with you. But having said that, if your vet isn't willing or isn't knowledgeable, find another vet because right. you know I think we've entered into an era when there are so many choices. I mean, 30 years ago, you had like two vets in a town and that was You're it. Right. And now you've got two vets on every corner. And so I would say find the vet that meets and matches your needs. And if they're not talking to you about nutrition in a fashion that you feel is informed, educated, reasonable, and helpful, then find another vet because I think it's just that important to overall health. That's really my, my take-home message with that. That is the perfect take-home message. We have run out of time. <laughs> Dr. Ernie Ward says everything much more diplomatically than I ever have, and I love that, and I, I need to take a page out of your book. Y your ideas are great. Your organization is extraordinary. I love the work you're doing. I stand behind it a 1,000% and salute all the vets who do as well. Ernie, thanks for Thank your good work, and everybody jump on and do the survey because it's fun to answer questions about yourself. Makes you feel important. Thanks again, Ernie. Yeah, and thanks for all you do, Tracy, because again, you getting these messages out there, it's not easy. You've been doing this for some time, and the amount of good that you contribute to the world is just immeasurable. And thank you so much, and happy holidays. Thank you, and to you and to all the four-leggeds and the two-leggeds out there. Thanks for listening. There are a few more special companies that make this show possible. I hope you will support their products because they stand behind my mission, which is to educate and inspire while entertaining. Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, creates holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. They make many non-chemical products for the inside and outside of your pets, as well as innovative foods like No Hide and the Hybrid Dry Food Wisdom, which sometimes is all that my Blue Weimer runner Maisie will eat. My other sponsor is Cradle which makes CBD calming products to reduce stress for dogs using broad-spectrum CBD from U.S.-grown hemp formulated with a proprietary blend of nutraceutical ingredients. My Wanda Weimaraner couldn't get through thunderstorms without their cradle melts. 
And I'm grateful to Evermore Pet Food, which is privately owned by two extraordinary women who cook dog food from the most pristine human edible ingredients and ship it to your door in frozen pouches. It is higher quality and more ethically sourced than my own food. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this one guest version of Dog Talk and Kitties 2, and we'll listen to other episodes sometime soon.